Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello again. Here we go. Episode number three of Believe in Horse Racing with me, Ken Rudolph. Uh, Thank everybody for hanging out with us as we continue to evolve and figure out exactly what we're doing. You're listening to this courtesy of the good folks there at the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. We're coming to you from Los Angeles. Of course, you can find this anywhere that you get your podcast and do us a favor. Go ahead and rate and review us. So everyone knows just how much fun you had listening to the show, even if you didn't. Today's show is super exciting because today's show is exactly what I want all of our shows to be here on Believe in Horse Racing. I want to bring people in from the outside and find people who you don't normally associate with horse racing, whether they be my friends in entertainment and music and sports and news and tell some stories and talk about music and sports and have fun together. Today is the day I get to do exactly what I've always wanted to do talk about everything. Our guest today is the former drummer of the Black Crows, Steve Gorman. Anyone who's ever spoken to me for five seconds, you know the Black Crows are my absolute all-time favorite band in the world. I've seen them 10 times. Just a fantastic group. So it's so exciting to be able to talk with Steve today. He wrote a book called Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows, a memoir he wrote that with his friend Stephen Hyden. It came back and it came out in the fall of last year. It's going to be out in paperback at the end of May, which is why we're talking to Steve about that. Also, his band, he has a new band called Trigger Hippie. They have a new album called Full Circle and Then Some. We'll talk to him about how that came to be. And he's got a banging radio show called Steve Gorman Rocks on Westwood One Radio, where he plays classic rock. We'll talk about that. And sports, because Steve's about everything. I mean, the guy seriously has a story about everything. He's played the Kentucky Derby with his band. He's been there to bet. And he also played a really weird tribute show for Kentucky Derby week back in the 80s. (laughs) That's going to be odd as well. Then we're going to get into Longshot Lounge. And I'm so excited to have our, our good buddy Barry Spears is in the mix at Urban Handicapper is here. This dude knows how to play and how to pick prices. This is my brother from another mother. We're going to talk a little bit about the big races coming up as Churchill Downs opens up. They'll be in the mix this weekend. Santa Anita, yeah, opening up. They're in the mix this weekend, so great racing continues, and you're in the right place to not only find out about great prices to play, but also just to have a good time and tell some great stories. I've got a beverage. I hope you do as well. We're going to go talk to our friend Steve Gorman former drummer of the Black Crows. And if you are a player, music is extremely important. I know it is to me. Black Crows have a song that I think really, really every single horse player should learn this song and learn the lyrics. The song is called Wiser Time. And the chorus is this. On a good day, I know it's not every day. We can part the sea. But on a bad day, thank God it's not every day. Glory just beyond our reach. As a horse player, if you don't identify with that, then I don't know what to say for you. 
here comes our first guest. It's Steve Gorman on Believe in Horse Racing. For 27 years, he's the driving force behind the most rock and roll band in all of rock and roll, and I think the greatest live rock band in modern rock history, the Black Crows. He is our guest. It is Steve Gorman. Steve, brother, thank you for joining us. How you doing? I am well, sir. I'm, uh, I'm happy to take a few minutes with you. Thanks. Steve's into sports. And um, hey, I got to ask you, did you guys ever play a show at a racetrack? We did. Well, we, yeah, we played at Churchill Downs and I want to say 2009, the Black Crows did. Um, it wasn't during Derby weekend. It was, a, they tried to have a music festival there and we played, uh, you know, right in the infield. Um, I can't even remember what it was called. I think it only lasted one year, but um, that's the only time that I, off the top of my head, that I remember playing a, a, a horse track. I've been to the Derby twice. I went in 2009 and 10. Um, and, I, you know, I lived in Kentucky from the ages of 10 to 21, but I was three hours from Louisville and horse racing was not something that my family had any interest in. So, you know, that was just something that other people knew about. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult and started kind of, you know, picking up on the fact that, uh, you know, I'd kind of grown up in the shadow of, of a pretty, pretty phenomenal event. So, and I've still only been twice, but I got a good buddy at Churchill Downs, who's the media, the head of media there. and. You know, I, I, every year it's like, I think I'm going to get back this year and things have always come up to keep me from it. But I had an absolute blast. I mean, I really, really loved it the two times I went. I went in 2009, the first time I went to the Derby, I was doing a local, Steve Gorman Sports was a local sports talk show here in Nashville. And I went up and, uh, and, and I did a three hour broadcast from a sports bar in Louisville the night before the Derby. And then we did two hours from the media center at Churchill Downs on Saturday. And that first year, Darren Rogers, who we've already mentioned, he gave me the, uh, the dud list and told me on the air Friday night, stay as far away from mind that bird as you can get. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, he was adamant because I, because my co-host actually said, I don't know what mind that bird means, but I'm putting the house on that horse. And he went, absolutely not. There's nothing there. And of course, you know, we're, we saw Darren after the race the next day and he just looked at us like, I'm so sorry. You know, it was like, it's quite all right. It's, I think it's still the biggest long shot winner ever. So we couldn't hold it over his head too far. I'm surprised he even had the courage to look you in the eye the next day. I thought he would have been on the duck list trying to duck you guys for the next 24 hours. No, we, we, made, we, we made sure to get a little FaceTime before we hit the road back home. I did some research, obviously, before this. And it says here that you played with a bunch of different bands. And it says here that one of the band's names is Swale. Is that correct? <laughs> well, well, yeah, not really. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, we had one gig called Swale. It was a Kentucky Derby party. Uh, and it was the year, the year after Swale had won the Derby. I think Swale won the first two of the Triple Crown and then died. He won the, uh, the Derby and the Belmont. You're correct, Steve. And then eight days after he won the Belmont Stakes, he had a heart attack and he passed away. Swale. Uh, this has happened in 1984. Right. So, so, so basically, I, I had a, my brother and I and some friends and a rotating cast of whoever was available and bored enough. We, we played shows when I was in college. And normally, it, it was just a, a band that played covers. I didn't know how to play drums. I mean, I really, I borrowed a kit from a friend and I knew I, knew, I I wanted to be a drummer. I knew I could do it if I just took the time, but I'd never practiced. 
I just knew how to play. Like the first time I ever started a drum kit, I could play it. I couldn't play it well, but I knew what to do. And it was an, it was a very, it was, I, I knew from a very early age, I, that's something I should be doing. Like I, I get this. So it wasn't until college that I actually did it. So my brother and I and some friends played uh, a New Year's Eve party my freshman year. And we called that band Alfred and the Stately Wayne Manors, which it, it, it's, it's like an Andy Kaufman-esque <laughs> joke. My brother and friends had been in a band for three years that weren't a real band. They would put up flyers. They would announce that they were playing a show. And then they would put up flyers canceling the show, always because of some bizarre, you know, you know, we, we've lost another guitarist to, you know, histoplasmosis or whatever they would say. And it was just a, it was like performance art without the performance. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like all a, it was just, it was just drunk guys in a dorm having fun pretending to be in a band. So when I showed up at school, my freshman year, they were like, hey, wait, you can actually play drums, right? And I was like, well, I think I can. And then one of, the, one of their friends kind of could play guitar. And suddenly it was like, well, let's actually do this. So we played a New Year's Eve party in Nashville, Tennessee with some friends in 1983, 84 New Year's. And then had a great time with it. Played another one a year later. And then after the second one, back in Bowling Green, Kentucky, we were all at Western Kentucky University. We played a few more parties, but we would change the name of the band every time to fit the occasion. So we played, it, we played someone's derby party. It was Saturday night, Derby night, 85, I guess. And we called the band Swale and, and we made up little t-shirts. My brother designed a logo for Swale that's actually a horse on its back and its head, legs, and tail spell out the word Swale. It was pretty ingenious. Um, out of the gate and running late, I think is what the shirts all said. So, you know, a little bit of uh, gallows humor for our, our, our lost hero Swale. But every time we play a show, we change the name of the band. And because it was just, we're just goofing around, you know, it's just college kids having fun. So I, I hesitate to call it a real band because it was a different lineup pretty much every time. And we were just thrashing through covers that we had no business trying to play. As far as this show is concerned, Steve, the judges will allow. Fair enough. That qualifies. I'll take <laughs> that it. Qualifies. Yeah, we, we, were, uh, we, were, we were baby Fay and the Heartless Baboons once. If you remember, there was a there was a, a, a baboon heart was placed into a human child and they called her in the media, baby Faye. Um, you know, there was always, there was always something to always a different theme for the party and the band would be named accordingly. That's that, that whole concept of a band putting up flyers for a show and then canceling sounds like a, um, like a kids in the hall skit or SCTV or something like something ridiculous that they would do. I love that. Yeah. My brother was the one who started that thing originally, but yeah, we all grew up, um, uh, SCTV fanatics, you know, we were, we were Monty Python and SCTV house for sure. And then, uh, and then when the kids in the hall came along years later, you know, after I was, had moved to Atlanta, then of course I was all over that as well. Yeah. I think I mentioned one time, uh, and on Facebook and you corrected me, there's a great, great line that comes from something funny that they said. And I heard Chris Robinson say it to Jay Leno on the tonight show. And I've always yeah. loved it. He said, you'd be, how fa- you'd be surprised how far you can coast on charm alone. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a Dave, that's Dave Foley's bad doctor skit when he's in the scrubs <laughs> covered in blood and uh, explaining how he became a surgeon without knowing anything about medicine. That, that's a line that, uh, and that was, I mean, that's one of those things, like the Black Crows and the kids in the hall were, we hung out a lot in the early 90s. And uh, we, we watched the episodes of their show on the bus over and over and over religiously when that show was on HBO. So uh, 
we had a lot of kids in the hall content in our daily shtick around the Black Crows, for sure. Girl Drink Drunk is the best shit that I've ever seen. That is my one of my all-time favorite things yeah. that I've ever seen. The progression of that is absolutely just brilliant. I love it. Yeah, no, they're they're fantastic. It's so amazing. You you are kind of to me. I, I don't want to insult you by saying that you're the Forrest Gump of of music and pop culture, but you are. You've been everywhere with everyone doing everything. It's crazy, man. Well, I've been I've I've, I've certainly been called worse. <laughs> so you know that's fine, I guess. <laughs> I love that you posted recently uh, when Little Richard passed and you told the great story of being involved in the Chuck Berry honors with the Kennedy Center in the year 2000 and, and how that went. And you just, I love that you've been so forthcoming and sharing all your experiences. Is it still a situation where you're still surprised that you were the guy that's in the room for all of these amazing moments? Well, yeah, because at the time, all, all, those things almost always as they're happening, you just, you, you, you acknowledge like, this is really cool, but but you, you're present and you're, you don't want to miss anything. So you're not thinking about it in, in the, you know, it's one thing to tell that story 20 years later at the time, you know, it finished. We all were like, man, that was awesome. And then it was on to the next thing. Um, because that was normal for a while. You know, I, I mean, there's a whole other side of that story, which is after rehearsal that night, we went to the state department dinner. And for three hours, I sat next to Don Rickles for dinner. I mean, you know, you, all these things that happened, you know, when, when, and, and, and a lot of those things in the nineties, like there's a, I have a really good memory, but like the Don Rickles thing, I've actually been talking to people and his name will come up and we'll be five minutes into it. And I'll go, Oh, wait a minute. I, I met Don Rickles. I hung out with him for a whole weekend. Like, and they'll be like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, I forgot all about that. Oh yeah. You know, there's a lot of things like that. You know, when the Crows toured and played shows with Jimmy Page, I've said this a bunch because it's true, you know, in the moment, I'm playing a gig, you know, I'm doing my job. I'm making sure I'm holding it down and doing my part. And then, you know, four hours later, alone in my hotel room, I'd lay there and go, holy shit. Just played a bunch of Zeppelin songs with Jimmy Page, you know. But when you're in the middle of those moments, if you're thinking about how cool they are, uh, that's, a, that's a great way for that moment to not be cool all of a sudden. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you lose your focus. It's only, it's only cool because everybody's got the, head, the right headspace and, you know, you gotta, you gotta do your part. You gotta be a pro and you gotta, you know, if, if you're all getting together to do something, you gotta make sure you do it well, then you can talk about how cool it was. Yeah. You gotta take the Belichick uh, Patriot approach, do your job well. And I love how, I know you're into sports quite a bit and I love sports and music. They really come, they go hand in hand in my opinion. Um, but I, I, I think that you've mentioned before how you feel like a band is, it's kind of like a basketball team. And we think about that in terms, and if they are, I want you to think of the Black Crows as the 90s era Chicago Bulls. With the situation with the last dance, everyone's watching how Michael Jordan approached winning. Is it safe to say that Chris Robinson is the Michael Jordan of your Bulls? His drive, the way he pushed you guys, the way he did certain things, is that even close? No, not I, I. I would say not in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, we had a conference call in '96, and Chris said he saw him. He goes, you know, I, I'm, I, I, you know, why can't you know? I'm like the, you know, Michael Jordan leads the Bulls. That's who I am for this band. And me, Johnny, and Rich almost fell out of our chairs laughing. And I said, Michael Jordan works harder than everybody. Michael Jordan does hit the last second shot. You, you, 
he wanted Chris was talking about his desire to be the final word on all decisions the band made. And he was neither capable or willing to work harder or sacrifice a single thing in his life for the betterment of the group. I think he thought he could. I think he saw himself as a leader, but uh, I think he, he thought that by that point, the band should be an extension of his will. And that's not what made the band great in the beginning. That's not what got the band to its successful, to any success it ever reached. And that was damn sure not going to be something anyone else in the band had any interest in. And, and, you know, Chris is a phenomenal talent. And I don't mean to say that he couldn't have been the Michael Jordan of the Black Crows, but the, 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 all the elements beyond having uh, ambition and, and having a, a, some instinct musically, the other things that go into great leadership are things that he had no interest in or no knowledge of or a combination of those two things. I could pull players out of the NBA history and put together a team that I would say this is how the Black Crows approach things, <laughs> but it wouldn't necessarily be the most complimentary. Uh, you guys were a, an amazing live band, and today is May 12th. We're recording this, this particular interview, and that means it's a happy anniversary for you and me, brother. On May 12th, 1992, the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion was released. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 92. That's the day that I flipped out, Steve. Yeah. I flipped out because of you. I'm working in a record store called The Warehouse. I'm in the corner of the record store. Southern Harmony and Musical Companion is playing in the background. I'm loving everything that's happening. It's the first time I hear your music and the sounds that I want to hear in the back, I hear the two black women sing in the background vocals. Uh -huh. Sting me on. I can hear it, and I'm like, yes, this is where you guys need to be. Right. And when I'm in the corner, putting away cassettes, my morning song comes on. And we, we get to the part of the morning song, my morning song. Right. We get to the breakdown, Steve. And we get to the buildup. And the ooze, and Chris is, wow! And that happens. I lost my mind in the corner of the record store. <laughs> I had an out-of-body experience, Steve, and from that moment on, I was in. I was in. I've been in ever since, baby. That, That's just the best time of music. <laughs> sounds ever. like it. Fair enough. Glad, I'm, I'm glad I worked for you, man. It worked for me. I, I, uh, I thought, you know, I still say that. I think that's the, the, I think that's the, uh, the greatest album we made, and... I'm not going to argue with it. If somebody prefers a different record, that's fine. Everybody's right when it comes to their own taste. But, but the reason that record was so great to me is because it was everybody playing to their strengths. It was everybody doing what they did best in service of the whole in a way that we never, we did it. We did our best. And we did that on shake your money maker, but we just weren't very good yet. We had good songs. We weren't the kind of band that could go play like that live yet. Um, Southern harmony was, was everything coming together. All the elements that make bands special are on display in that record top to bottom. There's, there's not a single question mark on that album to me, you know? And for anybody who says, no, they prefer Amorica or, or, or any other album to it, I say, okay, cool, great, awesome. I love a portion of the book where you describe what you guys would do to kick off the beginning of the show for the High as the Moon tour, which is the first time I saw you. 
uh, in um, at San Diego State University. And uh, I think I think the Jayhawks may have opened that show. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that show. I, I was it was a beautiful night. I remember that one very well. In fact, it was right before we went up to L.A. for the Greek theater shows. So you saw me over there in the corner screaming. Okay, um, but Absolutely. I love that you guys would open the show and you describe it in the book so beautifully. And the that little the curtains are drawn with all those little tea lights all over it, and you start riding the symbol, and you guys, Chris will say, and I remember Chris said, "Are you ready?" Yeah. And I just was like, this isn't, and then you guys play, but I don't see anything. We can't see anything. And then finally that curtain comes up and it's Chris and this whirling dervish of hair and harmony. And he's just the epitome of a rock God. And you're back there holding it down like a champ and it just explodes. I mean, it explodes into the arena. And I was like, that's what I want to do one day. I want to float on the stage like those guys are doing right now. And it's one of those things where that's how you catch you caught so many of your fans, that energy, that power. It's yeah. so beautiful. You can't even really explain it to people who aren't there. But, but man, when I'm, when I'm into a show, I'm, I'm exactly what you're describing still. That's what, that's what is sorely lacking from the world right now and for the foreseeable future. Cause uh, you know, that, 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 that's the thing that you can only get, like you can, you can watch shows from that tour from the 92 tour on YouTube. Not quite the same thing. You know what I mean? If you're there, boy, that was, uh, you know, I've, I've had shows do that very thing to me many, many times, so I know exactly what you mean. You know, there's so many things happening with you, man. You're um, also in a band called uh, Trigger Hippie, and this is kind of the second incarnation because I was familiar with you when you first started that with Joan Osborne and a guy who I played music with in Sacramento, Jackie Green. So Jackie used to gig around my hometown of Sacramento and we used to see him all the time. And then you guys are still keeping that going. And this is kind of hard, really bad timing for everyone who has, especially a band with a project like this, where you want to be out with the people and you want to share your music because it's new and you feel so great about it. But with what's happening right now, you can't really do that. But do you guys still stay in, in constant communication, the members of Trigger Hippie? Yeah, well, you know, Nick, the bassist, and I, Trigger Hippie, the long story short is, the, it, the, the two of us started playing in 2004, and from day one, we're talking about a band that we should put together one day. And so to, to me and Nick and nobody else, Trigger Hippie's been around for, you know, 16 years because it's been in our head forever. And it wasn't until 2011 that we actually did something about it, but still it's it's a long time it's a long time uh, investment for Nick and myself and various you know every year has a different level of investment I guess but it's something we've been very passionate about and he and I talk all the time um the rest of the people in the band you know we ch we're all checking in with each other you know the first few weeks we played a bunch of shows right before everything shut down we did a week of dates that wrapped up around the at the end of the you know we did the first week of March we were out on out in the southeast and so um, you know, we got home on a Saturday night and I actually flew to LA the next day for a week of stuff. And by the time I got back home, you know, the world had stopped spinning and everything Trigger Hippie had lined up for the spring and summer, of course, was shelved. So, um, we're all keeping in touch, but you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, beyond various behind the scenes, a little bit of bad business, we're already at the point where everybody's sick of having the same conversation. How you doing? What have you been doing? got any new ideas you know it's just after a while it, it, it becomes counterproductive because it's just so frustrating to talk about stuff on the phone 
and in the old days, you know, at, at the very least, we'd, we'd find a day, a couple of days a month when nothing else was going on to all get in a room together and throw ideas around. And I, I, I imagine at some point soon we'll, uh, we'll be able to do that. At least, you know, at least get in a room for, for, you know, a day. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll still all sit six feet away from each other and start making noise again. But, um, it's not something we've talked about with a definite idea of when to do that yet. You know, it is the kind of thing where it just everybody's priority becomes just staying safe. You know, three of us have families and that just becomes, you know, it, it's, it's a weird thing, but I, but I've talked to a lot of musicians, you know, here in Nashville and as much as it's kind of like what everybody's it's, it's the, it's everybody's heart and soul. And it's the easiest thing to shut down just because, it's it's kind of painful to do it half fast. It just gets really frustrating to to you know to have those conversations over and over and over again. So um, it's just it, there'll, there'll be a time, and when that time comes, you know the world will suddenly be on fire because every single musician on earth is going to be going at a million miles an hour to try to get back into things. And you know, especially touring. I mean, you know, every single artist on earth is trying to line up and is trying to figure out what they're going to do next year. I think it's a safe bet that nothing's happening in the year 2020. I mean, it's just not going to happen. 2021 by the summer and fall. Um, and this, you know, some people say this is uber conservative, but I'm just going off what every promoter in the country is basically saying behind the scenes. The summer and fall of 21 are going to be when the floodgates finally open for real, hopefully. And when they do, it's going to be really hard to book tours because every single artist on earth is going to be looking for every availability. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to go right from famine to feast in a way that's going to make it pretty impossible to see it getting normaled out for a long time. I don't think it's, I think it's safe to say it'll be 2022 before the touring world feels like it's back to normal, or at least even on its way back to normal for everybody that's involved in it. But I do have to ask you for one favor as yep. we wrap this up. Um. So look at here. I've been a Crows fan for the longest time. I uh, started a band because of you guys. And so all the guys in, in our band, we love the Crows. So we all go to the Crows shows together. So the Crows came to the Crest Theater in Sacramento, California back in 1998. All the guys in the band um, and my, 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 our bass player's name was Johnny as well. The show starts playing. Two amazing things happened that night. One, there's a brawl or something in the middle. Chris didn't like it. So he stopped the song in the middle of Thorn in My Pride lectured the people in the audience and then dude you came back in with a love and you guys went straight into it you're amazing by the way but the second thing that happened that was amazing was we were smoking weed and the security guy came and took our weed from us at a black crows concert which doesn't seem right at all <laughs> well and so i think that somehow i'm going to need somebody in the black crows to replace our weed can we make You're gonna have to talk to that security guard, my man. I'm sorry to say. No. Yeah, the Black Crows, the Black Crows universe was a state of mind. It obviously was not a, uh, didn't go beyond that. So you know, it's on you to be. Uh, you don't have to worry about it now. If you're still in California. You're good to go. I remember that show in '98, Sacramento, because I've never. I don't think I've ever walked on stage feeling worse. I had a really high fever, um, and I'd been. I was asleep in my bunk until five minutes before that show started. But I sweated it out. That that gig broke my fever. I thought I was going to die. And then when the gig was over, I was like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. Rock and roll saves lives, baby. That's right. Rock and roll saves lives. Steve Gorman, thank you so much. Hard to Handle, Life and Death of the Black Crows, a memoir, will be released on paperback May 26th. 
a book that he has written along with um, Stephen Hyden, chronicles his 27 years as a driving force behind the Black Crows. Also, Trigger Hippie, the album, Full Circle and Then Some, is available. Hopefully, they'll be back out on the road as soon as possible. And your show, Steve Gorman Rocks on Westwood One Radio, is uh, currently on the air, right? Monday through Friday, it's uh, five nights a week of, uh, of classic rock, and that's syndicated nationwide. So uh, stevegormanrocks.com, uh, you can go there and find out all the stations we're on. And Steve, brother, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you um, opening yourself up and allowing a fan like me to, to, to be able to share with you for about 30, 45 minutes, man. It's just been a conversation of a lifetime. Yeah, man, right on. I'm happy to do it. See ya. Here comes the shot. Here it is. We are back. It's Longshot Lounge. This is the way it's supposed to go down. Right here with our man. He is in the mix, finally. We get him in for our first time. It's Barry Spears, a.k.a. at Urban Handicapper. Barry, how you doing, man? Great. Feeling great. Doing great. Everything's going <laughs> the way I want it now. But uh, after a, a, a rough week, I'm, I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> Tell me a little bit, if you can, about what you had to deal with for the folks, because, you know, uh, this show is is for all of us, the, the players in the Twitterverse. We all kind of hang out together, and that's why I created this show, so we could all kind of have a place to, to talk about our picks. So quickly kind of tell us what happened and why you, you've you been missing the last couple of weeks. Um, it was a, a situation where I, I, I felt really sick for about uh, two weeks. I was running a high fever of about 102 steady, um, went to the ER twice, <laughs> they they actually wanted to release me uh the second time also and i couldn't remember where i was or how i got there so they're like yeah you gotta stay so you know i i, I stayed uh, i didn't really remember too much until that friday um which was the friday before the arkansas derbies um i woke up in the middle of secretariat the movie um, just at the part where they were dancing to I'll Take You There. I, you know, anybody that's seen the movie under, knows that part. Uh, I kind of woke up then and then started progressing better from there on out. Um, I, I, I watched the Arkansas Derbies in the, in the hospital room. And, you know, um, it, it was real comforting. And then uh, that Monday I, I was released home and uh, I'm, I'm here and, and getting better. That is so great to hear. Two things quickly. When you first woke up and you're a deep horse racing person, okay? You're also African-American. When you first woke up and you hear the staple singers singing, I'll take you there, and you see horse racing, where did you think you were? I had no idea. I thought I, I may have, <laughs> honestly, I thought I might've died. Um, but then, you know, uh, the, the little beeping and all that stuff with the machines in the room kind of let me know where I was at. And I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Uh, I wonder if they put this on for me. I'll bet they probably did, Barry. I'll I bet don't know. They probably did. But I woke up right in the middle of it and, and, and it was, it was just, a, it was just comforting to, you know, that's the best way I could describe it. All right. Here's the second thing I wanted to ask you. What happened when you played, when you got home and you started playing? I feel like you've been on a hot streak. <laughs> I feel like, too. Um, 
you know, I, I, I kind of played early that day. I missed the pick six at Gulfstream, the force out um, in the last leg. I got beat. So I knew at that point my handicapping was, was pretty on point. Um, and my betting was definitely on point because I, I, I gave my shot to, to win um, in that pick six uh, for probably about 30000 maybe even a little bit less than that. So I knew I, I was kind of not on a hot streak, but I was kind of dancing around a win. And, you know, I kind of waited a little bit and I, I played that ticket well before the first race um, at Los Al. And, and, you know, I didn't like the, the favorite in the first leg. He ended up losing uh, $20 horse one. The second leg, I did use the favorite, but um, I, I kind of thought he was suspect. I included him when I probably shouldn't have. Um, what ended up happening, he, he lost to a 25 to one shot, which was knocked a lot of people out. Apparently, um, the next race was my single, which was the two horse. Um, and he just ran away. He, he, he had that field over a barrel as, as Dave Weaver would say, but, um, <laughs> he, he, he just ran off and, and nobody could catch him. And then, you know, going into the last leg, I, I was confident because the horse that I liked, which was the eight who actually won, you know, kind of did the same thing the two did, a, you know, maybe a week and a half prior. Um, and he, he just mowed him down. Uh, it was really bizarre because he, he kind of lost his footing near the wire and, and, and got banned off, but he still crossed the wire first. Um, it, it didn't looked like he was hurt badly just you know something that you know a little time will take to, to have him come back which is definitely good to see um but you know it just flashed up there six thousand six hundred six hundred sixty dollars and i was like wow i couldn't believe it <laughs> and it just capped off a, a really crazy week for me that's a beautiful beautiful yeah. way to end a, a pretty tumultuous uh, week to 10 days for you and your entire family and and all your friends out there, uh, I I did not know that you had that many friends out there, brother. I didn't but either. A lot of people love you, man. That's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't either. It was very surprising, and it was it was really touching to see all the well wishes, all the DMs. It took me, I think it was about three days to to get back to everybody and and kind of let them know I was okay and things like that. But it was very surprising, you know. Um, you, you know, I I I've kind of dabbled in this game for a little bit, and you never know um what kind of response you get from things like that until it actually happens and it was overwhelming it was it was great it was spectacular everybody was nice to my wife everybody was nice to me you know i couldn't ask for anything from the horse racing community it was just it was just great to see and and feel so with all the good vibes and everything and you you got your skills you got yourself back in your comfort zone and then guess what churchill downs is like come get some of this I'm you down. want some of this i'm like, down these are hard races brother <laughs> Well, you know what? This is the kind of thing I like because, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating a lot of prices. Um, you know, there, there's some solid favorites, but I mean, top to bottom, this is going to be a great card to bet. Um, I, I, I'm really going to look forward to this on Saturday. You've already taken a look at it and I've been looking at it as well, but this is all about trying to find uh, just anything that kind of jumps out at you. Before we get to the weekend, any particular race you want to talk about? Sure. I got a couple, actually. The uh, fifth race. Barry. Which is a, uh, Barry. Yeah. You get one. 
<laughs> All right. Okay. I'll give you one. Actually, the fifth race is, is probably the best one I, I have. Oh, I love it on the turf. Yes. It's a mile, uh, mile and 16th main special weight on the turf. Uh, and there's a horse in here that's eight to one on the morning line who I like uh, named Oxide. It's the number seven. Going to be ridden by Jose Ortiz. Um, he's had some bad luck weather-wise. Uh, three of his four races have been in the sloppy track and one on a good turf, which he ran excellent. Um, I just think this horse is the fastest horse in the race. I think he's going to go to the lead. Um, Jose Ortiz is one of the best in the business running uh, up front. And I think he's going to improve off that December 29th race um, at Gulfstream on the turf. Um, I don't see very many speeds in here that could run with him. And I'm looking for wire to wire. If he's eight to one, that's perfect. I'm guessing he's probably going to be about four, five to one, maybe, um, maybe even less. But um, I still think he's he's solid on this card on in this race. I like it all. I'm writing it all down. That's what I'm here for. Very. <laughs> yes, this is the way it's supposed to go. We're going to do this again. I need you to be in my rotation if I can get that uh, to happen. Absolutely. Talk about this. Uh, Absolutely. Um, all right, let's get ready to get this money this weekend. We got uh, the big tracks coming into the mix, and uh, I'll see you in that line when we cash. And of course, we'll check in in the Twitterverse as we exchange our our picks over Ab the course of the week. Absolutely, I'll I'll be on there all weekend. All right, brother, let's get this money together. I'll see you. All right, thank you so much. And uh, that'll do it for another edition of Believe in Horse Racing with me, Ken Rudolph. I want to thank our guest, <laughs> the incomparable, the former drummer of the Black Crows, Steve Gorman. He's got a book. He's got a band, and he's got a banging radio show. Check one of those three out if you can. Also, want to thank our guest handicapper and Longshot Lounge, our man, Barry Spears. What's up, bro? Let's get this money. And we'll see you guys next time right here on Believe in Horse Racing. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.